Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast and our bonus episodes as we explore the topic of eschatology. Well, welcome. My name is Andrew West. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at the Bridge Church. I am joined by the wonderful Josh Moore, another assistant pastor. Hello. Welcome. And the Reverend Dr. Paul Dale. Welcome. Nice to be here. (laughs) I've just heard from Paul that he was once on a kids podcast. Uh, No, kids radio. Kids radio. Back in the days before podcasts. With people who were famous. Anton Deck. Who are? The British equivalent of Hamish and Andy. There you go. Wow. So we're in the presence of greatness. So uh, it's great to have you, Paul. Um, We are exploring this idea of eschatology. That's our sermon series at the moment, the study of the last days. And there are so many questions that are probably going to come up from this series. And we thought, let's just do some bonus episodes. Hear some of your questions, explore them and talk more practically, fleshing out what we talked about on Sundays. If you have any questions that come out of this series from Sundays or connect groups, you can send them through to thebridgechurch.org.au forward slash questions. Send them through to there and we'll do our very best to try and answer them. So to kick us off, here's a question that was sent in this week. The question is, when did the end times actually begin? Was it the cross? Was it the resurrection? Or was it the ascension? If you go to a place like Luke chapter 17, Jesus says, on the one hand, the kingdom of God is in your midst. So it's with you here now, Hmm. with his coming. But also, he says just a few verses later, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running after them, for the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. So theologians have come up with this language of um, inaugurated eschatology, which just means that the kingdom has come, but it's not yet come. And in the coming of Christ, it's come for the first time, but at his second coming, it will come in all its fullness. So let's flesh out this now but not yet idea, because it really is a pretty helpful framework to understand so much of the Christian life and the New Testament. Why is it important that we get the balance between the now and not yet right. Like, where can this go wrong if you get the balance incorrect? What do you think, Paul? It's a great question because if, as a Christian, you only focus on the now and you appreciate everything that Christ has done for you, that you are fully forgiven, you are a child of God now, that you are restored now, then I think you are left disappointed. Mm because we know our battle with sin is still there and we're completely honest with ourselves. We're not perfect yet. And we look at the world around us and it's groaning now, to to quote Romans 8 language. And so if it's all about the now, then if this is as good as it gets where I've got the spirit, but I'm still battling sin and there's lots of good things in creation, but there's still lots of terrible things, then the idea of that being as good as it gets is a bit disappointing. Mm. Having said that, if we focus on uh, all the not yet bit, then we don't appreciate all the benefits now of being a child of God and being fully forgiven. 
Uh, and I think the churches that overemphasize the now either spend too long looking back at the cross uh, and not looking forward to heaven, or they try and bring all the benefits of heaven into the here and now with kind of an over-realized eschatology where, you know, someone is sick, then of course God's going to heal them now. And that's wrong theology because he doesn't promise to heal us now. He can heal us now, but he doesn't promise that. Yeah. But if you're living with this not yet, you're going, well, even if he, do, even if he doesn't heal us now, I'm going to have a glorious resurrection body then. And so to get that balance right is hugely important. Why don't we um, think about how that balance between the now but not yet plays out in other examples? So what about the theme of victory, for example, in the Christian life? I, I think when you think of the... Uh, Doctrine of Atonement, for example, I think we're very good at uh, talking about propitiation, so the idea of God's wrath being turned away, and justification means that you've been made right with God, uh, and sacrifice, all those things are good at, but we're not very good talking about the victory of the cross, mm. uh, which if you read some of our uh, Reformation theologians, they were very strong on victory, because you know Satan has been defeated, and so whilst we still have the presence of in our lives of, of sin and Satan, uh, he is powerless. And so I think we need to recapture some of that victory theology that in the here and now, we do have the power to fight your sin and we do have the power to say no to Satan. And yet he's still prowling around of course like is. a roaring lion looking for something about. So that's the now but not yet, isn't that's it? That's not yet. So yeah. it's only on that final day that he'll be thrown into the lake of fire mm. and fully defeated. Yeah. Another one I was thinking about was sin. So we can say, oh, well, um, there's no way I can conquer this sin. I'm stuck in the rut of this sin, these sinful patterns of life. I can't conquer it. Well, actually, no, we have the Holy Spirit in us and God strengthening us and empowering us. We can say no to sin and we can resist those temptations. You see, that's why I think your, your doctrine of the Spirit is so, is so important. Yeah. And I think there's a link there between if you have a weak doctrine of the Spirit, then you're going to have a weak eschatology. Yeah. Because you, know, you go to Romans 6 and it talks about how sin is not our master anymore. Mm. Uh, and so you don't have to be a slave to sin. And yet you know that you're not all conquering and you're still going to face temptations. But in that moment of temptation to say, no, actually sin is not my master. I've got the spirit of God in me. And you choose to feed the spirit rather than feed the flesh. I think that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think, Josh? Any other practical examples of this balance between now but not yet? Well, and just that it springs out of what Christ has already done and the victory that he has already won. We're at a conference yesterday and the verse uh, came up from Romans 6 that consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ mm. Jesus. Mm. That's not something we are achieving. That's something Jesus has done for us and we now have to think of ourselves that way mm. in light of the work that he's done. And therefore, you know, like Romans 8 uses the language of obligation. We have no obligation to the flesh mm. anymore. We have an obligation to, to God, to offer ourselves to God because of the coming of his spirit into our lives. And I think we do need to learn to think of ourselves in those very biblical ways yeah. and to train our minds to think of ourselves differently rather than just kind of approaching it through the lens of our experience. And, and yet there's a danger there, isn't it? Because if you go back sort of 50 years, uh, there's kind of this perfectionist theology that came in yes. where like, yeah, I'm dead to sin, I'm alive to Christ. Yes. And so I can pursue perfection. Mm. Uh, and then you feel a failure because you know that you're, <laughs> that you're still going to be tempted. Mm. That's right. So it's that 
it, that's why I think that language of now but not yet is helpful for our expectations as Christians. If you have the right expectations as a Christian, that God is making me more like his son Jesus, but that I will never reach that mm. until, until I meet him face to face, it's just helpful because I'm not kind of thrown off course when I find that sin is still with me. Yeah, I think you see it in our understanding of mission and evangelism as well, the now but not yet. So we're called to go and make disciples, share the gospel, and there really can be revival. God is at work by his Holy Spirit, and we can pray big things and expect big things because we have a God who is mighty to save, and yet our battle is still against flesh and blood and the devil, and and he is not yet completely defeated, and and people are still blinded by the evil one, and, and so... Should we expect that the whole world will be converted by our efforts? Well, probably not. The now but not yet, I think, is helpful there as well. We should live with an expectation of what God can do, what God is able to do mm. in the now, but he hasn't promised that. And so as a Christian, if you claim all these so-called promises that God has never promised, then you'll be disappointed. Yeah, Disappointed with yourself, disappointed with God perhaps. But equally, too many of us as Christians are not expectant and we settle for what our human understanding can see and feel and touch. And we don't really believe that God has the power in the here and now to do incredible things. And so we don't, we don't ask for them. Yeah. Let's talk about Jesus' return because we were speaking, preaching on that the week before last. On Sunday, just past, Paul, you talked about how we can have a willful amnesia. I like the way you put that, willful amnesia. We struggle to remember that Jesus is coming back. And I know I do. I mean, I did not wake up this morning and think Jesus could return today. So let's get practical. How can we help ourselves remember Jesus could come back today? I think by willful amnesia, I don't just mean that we struggle to remember, but we choose to forget and they're slightly different Mm. we choose to forget because actually deep down we love the life that we're living now and we choose to forget because we really like the idea that in 15 years time i speak for myself here i'll be i'll be 67 and i want to be retired and i want to travel uh to israel and to Mm. to go to israel as a christian i'd love to do that in 15 years time Mm. And so I'm going to choose to forget that Christ could come back because I really deep down want to do all those things because this world has so much to offer. Uh, so I think that's what I'm tra- I was trying to say. Rather than struggling to remember, we, actually we love this world too much and our plans too much And because I'm not sure that we really believe deep down that heaven is going to be so glorious and seeing Jesus face to face is going to be so glorious. That it's, going to, it, it's going to be better than anything that mm. I want to do on my bucket list. But in, in terms of keeping the return of Christ front and centre... It is things like every morning I do pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. And I honestly do. Yeah. And that just gets my mindset right for the day. That, And when I pray that, actually, it does change the way that I face situations during the day. So as a pastor, often you're exposed to uh, sickness of other people or struggles mm. of other people. And rather than just going into solution mode, it's like, oh, Lord, this world is so broken and this world is groaning. Would you please come back to fix this? I think like so much of our Christian life, it's in the daily small decisions, not just the big ones, that we need to remember these things. Mm. So it's that moment when I've, you know, got an opportunity, like should I watch 
TV at night time or should I pull out my Bible before I go to bed and mm. remind myself of who God is and what he's promised me? You know, and deep down somewhere I know that it's so much better for me to listen to the promise of God and dwell on that and fill my mind with that day and night. But then, you know, sometimes I'll choose the easy option. I'm not saying I'm not trying to be down on watching TV, you know, as if that as if this is some kind of legalistic thing, but just to remind myself that the deepest joy that I can have is to have God's perspective in my life. Mm-hmm. And choosing that perspective every day is um not easy because there's so many other things that come on our plate. Mm. I think what you're talking about there Josh is it's a relational thing. So the more that you are in love with Jesus and the more that you are pursuing a deeper relationship with Jesus, the more your heart longs to be with Jesus and to see Jesus. And as I read the scripture, when it talks about the return of Christ, it talks about the joy and the celebration and the glory of that day, mm-hmm. not just the fear of that day. Mm-hmm. And I think if we try to motivate Christians by the joy of seeing Jesus, then it might be more on our radar because there's so much about Jesus that I long to know and experience that it's, I, I don't experience yet, mm. rather than just this kind of this fear that, oh, actually, he might come tonight, so I better not watch Netflix, so I should read my Bible instead. Mm. Yeah, I think that's right. I think I'm, I'm saying that there's actually greater joy in the relationship. In the relationship. As we think about living in the last days, a great passage to go to is 1 Peter 4. I might read these words. Um, this is from verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. Suppose my question is, it's fascinating the Apostle Paul, he's talking about, okay, the end of all things is near. What are the things he says, says to do? Practice hospitality. Don't grumble. Use the gifts to serve others. Why these things? Why does he go here? Yeah, I was really surprised a few years ago when one of my friends pointed that out to me, that it's, you know, the end is coming soon. And then all these normal Christian life things, love people, pray. Because we'd expect, okay, go panic by and head off to Coles and <laughs> yeah. get your toilet paper and stock up and That's right. not practice hospitality. Or even run into the street and start trying to tell as many people as possible. Now, obviously, the other huge thing we do in the last days is evangelize and share the kingdom, and we can talk about that. But I I think part of the reason for these instructions is that I think the whole book of 1 Peter has been pointing the believer forward to their future hope, like that we have a living hope that we have through the resurrection of Jesus, that we're aliens and strangers in this world, Mm. that our true life is in the future, and we want to be anchored there. And as we live our lives anchored there, we kind of become an outpost of heaven by the way that we live and we show the culture of God's kingdom in our lives. And what is God's kingdom? It's a kingdom of relationship between us and our creator and God's people and one another. Mm. It's described as a banquet. It's described as um, a celebration, as a wedding. And so as we do these relational things between us and God and between us and one another, it actually demonstrates the culture of the kingdom and we mm. get to live that now 
which is awesome when you think about it. Mm. That's really helpful, Josh. I think um, we live in a very individualistic culture and we always read the Bible as me and my relationship with God. Mm. And to remind us is about the way that we relate as the people of God and doing the beautiful but fairly mundane things of loving, serving, hospitality, using your gifts for the good of others uh, is just a way that we not only encourage each other to keep going for heaven, but we actually witness to the world. And as I keep on saying that most of our world don't step foot into church to hear the gospel necessarily, but they do watch the way that Christians relate and we can actually shine the gospel through the way that we love, serve and speak and show hospitality. Mm. And I think the other thing is that there's that verse that talks about how we can speed the coming of the Lord. And I find that fascinating in 2 Peter 3, that by the way we, we relate, we will win people for Christ and therefore that day was going to be a day closer. Mm. And some of those things are increasingly so rare in our society. I think I read something a few years ago saying most Australians don't really have people to their home anymore. Yeah. You know, so just to do a simple thing of hospitality is actually extremely radical in our mm-hmm. culture now because we are so individualistic. And to have people over is costly, financially costly, time costly. You've got to clean up and talk and relate and it takes time and energy. Yeah. But it's a beautiful thing for us to do as Christians because, you know, that's how Jesus lived with his disciples. That's the pattern of the, the church community in Acts. They got together and had meals together and read the apostles' words and prayed together. And broke bread together. And broke bread together. Which is also a reminder of the heavenly banquet that's about mm. to come. Not just a reminder of what Christ did on the cross, but as we break bread together, we are looking forward to the day when we're going to be in his presence feasting with him. Mm. Okay, I want to try something different. I'm going to throw some rapid fire questions out to you. So I want 30 second max answers, okay? How does the last days, the fact that we're living the last days between Jesus' first and second coming, change the way we go about our work, secular work? Paul? Making this society a better, more fair, more just society, using whatever gifts God's given you in your secular work for the good of others, but not defining yourself by your secular job and mm. not letting your secular job consume all your time and energy that you have no time to meet with God's people and to encourage people to focus on Christ. That's great. Josh, what about money? Living in the last days, how does it shape our money? Well, I think Jesus tells us to invest our treasures in heaven where Mm. moth and rust cannot destroy. I was reading an article about investing money, not because I've never bought stocks before, (laughs) but uh, just reading this article. And it seems very anxious, you know, because you don't know if it's going to go up or down. But it strikes me that when you invest money in heaven, you know that it's secure. Mm. That's a safe investment. Time, Paul, how does it shape the way we spend our time? The quick answer is the the big rocks analogy of put your big rocks in first in terms of your time. Mm. And I mean, your big rocks are your relationship with God and God's people, and then your human relationships that are important, uh, whether that's uh, your family or your friendships, and then time with your unbelieving friends. So Mm. it's relational time, not just task time. Mm. 
As we wrap up, one of the things we did last week is we ended with a song because we said all theology should lead us to joyful worship. Last week I asked Curtis to play a song. I think he thought that maybe no one really enjoyed it. And so um, he's chickened out. He's not here today. If you want to hear Curtis sing next week, send me an email. I just want to get some feedback. so I can. We, we could sing now if you want to. We could sing now. That might put people off. Well, I've got a promise from Paul that he's going to come back in a few weeks and sing I Can Only Imagine as we look at heaven. You're doing on the organ. Do you play organ? I can play the organ, yep. That'd be an interesting, you know. If you know the song, I Can Only Imagine, it's a pop song. I don't know no, how so to I'm go I'm saying it'd be an interesting way to um, <laughs> do things. You've got to tune back in for a few episodes' time. But um, have you guys got any songs that come to mind that capture this idea of living in the last days? Well, I was saying to Josh earlier that um, it's interesting when you look at the old hymns, mm. Uh, there's way more hymns written about the end times than there are modern worship songs. Because um, I think it was more on the radar of Christians of old. And if you look at some of our most popular hymns, like even um, How Great Thou Art, the last verse is always about you know, the return of Christ. When Christ shall come. When Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Mm. And there I shall bow in humble adoration and declare how God, my God, how great thou art. Mm. And it's just interesting that they take on this journey, but the high point is is seeing Jesus face to face. And so I love the old hymns for that reason. Josh? Yeah, Andrew actually pointed out this song and it reminded me of how significant it was for me because mm. I was on a university conference, Christian conference, back when I was about 18, 19, and they were singing this song and doing a series on eschatology actually, thinking about you know our lives and how short our lives are and how this time is short that we live in. The song's called We Belong to the Day and some of the words are we belong to the day, to the day that is to come when the night falls away and our Saviour will return for the glory of the King is in our hearts. On that day we will be seen for what we are. Mm -hmm. I love that song partly because of what God was doing in my life when I first sang that just to remind me that or to show me really for the first time that I actually had a, a job to do mm. on earth, that I wasn't meant to just hang around and wait for, like, Jesus as my ticket to heaven, mm. but that Jesus had a claim over my entire life and now I had to conform my life to him as the Lord of the universe. Well, thanks for joining us in this bonus episode of the Bridge Church podcast. We're going to have some more bonus episodes to come. Keep sending in your questions and we'll see you next time.